Turning your Bible to Ezra chapter 6 this morning, that's where we're going to be uh, in our study in the book of Ezra. And I want to just kind of uh, take a moment because I'm going to catch you up to speed um, before we start looking into the book of Ezra. But I want you to think about this. What is the value, okay, and some of, some of you students, right, you, you might be able to help us out with this. What is the value of studying history? Anybody? So you don't repeat it, right? There are lessons to be learned in history. I've been coaching softball for the last couple of years, and one of the things I like to tell catchers when maybe the ball misses their glove and hits them where, where there's not padding and stuff like that, one of the things I'll yell from the dugout from time to time, I did it last night with one of our younger teams, one of the things I'll yell from the dugout from time to time is, hey, bruises are stories, <laughs> right? And the, par- the parents don't like that as much. But, it, but the umpires love it, right? It always gets a chuckle out of the umpires, right? And where Micah, my daughter, is one of those catchers, I especially feel like I can remind her from time to time, hey, bruises are stories, right? And that's the truth, right? So we don't repeat some of those same bruises and scars that we've had in the past. That's a value of history. Can anybody else think of another reason, a value, that we would study history? Remember learning what? Appreciate the heritage, yeah. Nothing new under the sun. I don't know who said that, but that's awesome. Yeah, nothing new under the sun. Specifically, yeah, new to them. That's good. Yeah, right. So the reminder, new to them, and that, and that kind of goes along with what I was going to say. So I'm reading through the Old Testament right now in the book of Isaiah. And um, as I was just kind of thumbing through this past week and, and looking at some of the notes that I've taken, because I've got one of those kind of note-taking Bibles where on the, on, the, on the sides it's got columns and lines where you can kind of write notes to yourself and things like that. Um, one, of the, one of the things I've noticed that I've written in the, in the margins of my Bible throughout this year is th- these words, thank you, Jesus. Because, because for us, right, specifically reading the history of the Old Testament, there are a lot of things that the people in the Old Testament, the Israelites specifically, and, and, and others through the Old Testament, there's things that we read there, there's challenges that they had, there's things that they were missing out on, there's processes and cleansing things that they had to go through, right, that the church today doesn't experience in the same way. Why? Jesus. Right? Because of Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that he came and paid the debt that we couldn't pay, filled the void that we couldn't fill, and the whole Old Testament was looking for a sacrifice worthy of that and couldn't find it, and then Jesus comes on the scene. And that's the significance of preaching, teaching, reminding, learning, hearing all about Jesus is because he truly makes the difference, not only in scriptural context, but in our context, in our everyday life. Amen? Now that ought to pump you up a little bit. Maybe more than the fried Oreos, but we'll get, right? I mean, it ought to, okay? So let's look at some of the history. Let's catch ourselves up with where we're at um, this morning. Let's remind ourselves of some of the background of what we're reading. You might remember in chapter 4, two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, that the locals uh, for, for this temple reconstruction began some opposition. Dylan talked about that. 
They were building the temple. Three weeks ago, we talked about how they started with the altar. They were laying the foundation. And then the next week, we came and progress halted. Right? And it didn't just halt. We're talking about years, 16, 18 years, that the locals began to uh, uh, oppose this construction. And they were trying to get the children of Israel to compromise. And remember that these locals worshipped Jehovah, but he was only one of their many gods at the time. And when the Jews would not join with them, they tried to harass them both locally, legally, and they succeeded in stopping the work. And then in chapter 5, we talked about it last week briefly, Haggai and Zechariah stand to urge the rebuilding to start again. And so sometimes in order to understand the full context of what we're reading in the historical chapters of the Bible, i.e. the Old Testament, you've got to go and read some other letters in conjunction. And sometimes it's even helpful if you're studying and you're like, I just don't get how all of this piece together, there's something out there called a Quran, a Quran no, don't read that, um, a chronological, okay, a chronological study Bible, okay, um, that, will, uh, that will take you kind of, kind of through, through, the, through this in succession, all right? And this causes Tatnai, the local governor, to send for Darius for advice and counsel in the matter, which that's important, Right? We never want to be above advice or counsel on the matter. We never want to. We never want to be above that. Amen. So let's check out verse uh, chapter six. We're gonna we're gonna read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. That okay? Awesome. Awesome. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia and the house of the archives, where the documents were stored. And Ibatana, all right, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. And also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, uh, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem, be brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place." You shall put them in the house of God. Verse 6, Now therefore, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, uh, this, this one's great, right? Uh, Shether Bozani, okay? I think of bonsai trees, karate kid, anybody else? Okay, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild the house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of the house of God. The cost is to be, be, is, the cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, 
as the priests of Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail. Verse 10, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Verse 11, also I may make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it. That's fluffy. And his house shall be made a dunghill. Verse 12. May the God who caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Whew! That's a mouthful, isn't it? So let's talk about this for a little bit. Let's, 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 let's catch up to what's happening here in these 12 verses, okay? We have a decree of Cyrus. That's how this book started. Cyrus makes a decree. The Lord God has said, it's time to rebuild. Now, when, when, we, when we see the word decree here in chapter 6, this would not be a large public decree, but a private order to his record keepers. Record keeping was huge in the Old Testament. It was, it was very important, extremely important. You'll note that there's extra details in these minutes of this decree in chapter 6 than there were in the public decree in chapter 1. Okay? And so he makes a public decree in chapter 1 that we read, that we studied a few weeks ago when we kicked off this, this series through the book of Ezra. Now this is private, including a, a few more details. And, and, so, and so when we think about a record at this point, I want you to note the importance of proper record keeping. I want you to note the importance and how ironic and wonderful that God's work was carried on by the discovery of a lost paragraph in a pagan library. How important it is for record keeping. Well, Travis, what does that have to do with me today in 2022? This was thousands of years ago when we're talking about them rebuilding a temple. Let me tell you why I think record keeping is important for you today and for me today. Because what record keeping does is it reminds you of how God's moving in your life. We might not call it record keeping today. Maybe only in a financial sense, right? But today we would call this journaling, right? And, and, and reminding ourselves, okay, God is, is asking me to move in this direction. Here's how he's shown up. I, I called Kristen uh, uh, about 10 days ago or so, and, and I was just leaving the land. And after hearing a, a couple of reports of some things that were happening on the land and how God's provided again and how this was going to be this, um, we anticipated, but then it was this. And, and, and our construction company pushed back a little bit, and the, and the guy said, okay, well, we'll donate $3,000 back to bring it under the price that you were thinking it was going to be. And I'm just like, God, Wow. And Kristen's like, you need to write all this down. I'm like, you're right. Because I want to go back and remember every single story, every single thing, every single thing. So the importance of record keeping, how important that is in our lives. And sometimes, right, it's important to remember in the moments where it feels like God is nowhere near us. It's important to look and say, no, no, God is moving. He's just not moving necessarily in the way that I would like him to. 
and he is moving. There is progress. But it's slower than I would anticipate. Maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe that's just me. But that's how I feel from time to time. And then we get to the construction, right? Verses 3 and 4. And we see that the details are given much greater, more specific. 60, uh, is it 30, 60 cubits? 60 cubits high, 60 cubits wide. Three layers of great stones. One layer of timber. Let the cost be paid by the royal treasury. Right? That's why Gorham's raising their taxes so high. They're going to pay for our building. Amen? That's not in the notes. Okay, um, <laughs> but the details here are much greater. And there's a record of the permission, right? The call of God, the place where they're supposed to build it. The purpose that is to be a house of God, a temple for sacrifices. The patterns for every three courses of stone, a course of timber, perhaps wainscoting, right? I mean, no? Okay. And it's possible that this temple was larger than that of Solomon's. When we think about 1 Kings chapter 6 and, and the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, the length, therefore, was three score cubits, and the breadth, therefore, 20 cubits, and the height, therefore, of, of, of 30 cubits, and all of that, which is pretty significant that they're building a bigger house. And then the provision that is going to come from the royal Treasury. That's going to come from the royal treasury. And then we see, and then we see that God uh, moves and provides in verses 8 and 9. We kind of see some, a little bit of repetitiveness in 8 and 9, but again, the detail, the record keeping. I, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders and the Jews of rebuilding the house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river, again, God's provision for the work. God's provision for the work. And so instead of stopping the temple work, Tatnai and, 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 and Darius, the decree, had to let it proceed, even though, and, and they even had to help pay for it out of the revenues of their taxes. And the purpose, look at verse 10, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to God, to the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Don't miss that. That the focus was to be worshiping God and God alone and pray. And pray. My house is to be a house of prayer. You know what that tells me? is that prayer for us as children and the house of God should be a pretty big deal. That we should look at each other not necessarily in ways as to what we can get from each other or what we can give and what we can offer one another, but we should look to each other and find ways that if nothing else we could hold each other's arms up in prayer. That we could lift each other up in prayer. There is no greater joy for me than when somebody 
texts me, especially on a Sunday morning, when I typically don't respond to texts, and says, hey, I'm thinking about you this morning. I'm thinking about, the, I'm thinking about you this morning. I'm praying for you today. I'm praying for you today. There's no greater joy for me. And so I think to myself, well, if it means that much to me, I'm going to do that for others. Right? It ought to be one of our greatest joys as the house and the people of God to leave this place knowing, wow, this person's praying for me this week. And you know what that means sometimes, family? And this is where this gets really uncomfortable. Is I've got to give people things to pray about. Which means I've got to be vulnerable. Which means I've got to open myself up maybe to a little bit of embarrassment. Where I've got to be honest and be known. But let me tell you something. This whole text from Genesis to Revelation is about knowing. It's about knowing the God of the universe and being known by Him as His beloved. And we get to model that in this gift that He has called the church, this thing that He has instituted called the church. We get to model that. And so one of the most beautiful things that we can offer one another is to truly not lip service and say, hey, I'm praying for you this week but to know, truly be praying. I went to lunch with somebody the other day and I sat down and, 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 and at first I didn't quite understand what was happening, right? They pulled their phone out and they had a note and they, they started kind of wanting, wanting names of, 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 of some people in my life and they, they wanted names and, I, and, I, and, and I, I was out of the loop as to what they were doing and, 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 they, and they finally said, I've, I've committed to praying for the leaders of the church and so I need to know, I want first names, last names, wives, spouses, right? I just, you know, and, and I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And then this morning, as they're just walking around, I see them, I see them going and asking Ian and Bree for their kids' names because they want to be able to pray for them by name. What, what, what a blessing. What a ministry. It means the world to me that somebody here is praying for Emma, Audrey, and Marcus of the Wallen family. Isn't that awesome? And look, some of you may sit back and say, well, I do that too. I do that too. Great. Tell somebody. Like, celebrate that. That's not a proud thing. That's, a, that's something to be celebrated. That's something to be celebrated. Right? Because, because we know, because we know their parents, that Emma, Audrey, and Marcus need prayer. <laughs> Happy Pastor Appreciation Month. Man, I love you. I love you. Right? But what a beautiful thing that this house was built for worship. And that's how they worshiped back in the day to offer sacrifices, right? This, this was their worship, right? And so, and so the, the house was built to do that and to pray on behalf of the king and the sons, folks that, that didn't believe in God, to intercede on their behalf, to go to bat on their knees for those folks. What a beautiful picture. And for each other. We ought 
to model this. And so we see the purpose. Look at verses 13 through 18. Let's keep reading. You guys good? All right, I'm going to skip over some of the names here, okay? You see them, all right? And, 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 and I know they're important, they're valuable, but for the sake of this morning, I just I want, to, I want to keep going here. Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatnai the governor of the province beyond the river, that one, the karate kid, okay? And their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. Verse 14, and the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. Verse 16, this is exciting. The house is finished. Right? It's exciting. Oh, man. Right? And the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs. Basically, they took the Freiburg Fair animals and they sacrificed as a sin offering for all Israel. Twelve male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, one male goat for each tribe. Verse 18, and they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. So he's reporting. And so we see the rebuilding, right? And there's two things I want to point out here. Two things I want to point out here in this section. Number one, the importance of the work. The work was important. It was not to be diminished. And not only was it not to be diminished, but it was to be finished. They completed the work. I love Jesus in John 17 when he's on his way to the cross. I know I reference this often because it's so impactful to me. Jesus is praying on the way to the cross. And I don't know about you, but if this is me, right? I'm thinking pretty selfish in this prayer. Knowing what's coming. Crucifixion, cross, those, those types of things. But Jesus prays to his Father. And one of the first things he says in John 17 is this. I have completed the work you gave me to do. I've completed the work. Now this is pre-cross. What had he done? Made disciples. I've completed the work you gave me to do. Start to finish. Every conversation, he was faithful. Every movement, he was responsible. Every miracle, he was divine. I've completed the work you gave me to do. Let me tell you something. It's significant because today, in 2022, we are benefiting from the work that Jesus had completed when he says that in John chapter 17. Because he trained Peter and the disciples who post-crucifixion, who post-resurrection went in the book of Acts and planted churches and went on missionary journeys and overcame obstacles 
and overcame people who tried to shut the work down. And, and, and today, Summit Church is part of the fruit of the work that we saw in the book of Acts. After church, after church was planted. Someday, you can trace back our history to that. The church planting movement in the book of Acts. And so today, we sit here as a direct result that Jesus completed the work that He gave Him to do. The importance of the work. We cannot diminish the importance of the work of God. We can't. Completed the work You gave Me to do. And then lastly, or secondly, not lastly, don't get your hopes up. Okay? Right? The importance of the Word. We see here in verses 14 and 15 the importance of the word. The elders and the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying, the proclaiming of the word, the proclamation of the word of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king, the importance of the word. Let me tell you something, let me tell you something, let me tell you something. If you're taking notes, write this down. Um, I, don't, I don't know who said it first, but I, I, I was reminded of it this past week. So you just, put, um, you just put dash Travis Bush next to this quote, okay? That'd be great. No church, everybody say no church. No church can operate without preaching. No church can operate without preaching. Now, let me tell you what preaching is. Opening the Bible and proclaiming the Word of God for information and, everybody say and, application. Now, I know some of you get really excited on Sunday mornings when I go really deep into the history and the context, and maybe I throw a couple Greek and Hebrew words in there, and some of you leave here on Sunday saying, Oh, Lord. That was blessed. Others of you love it when we come on Sunday morning and maybe we have an extra song or two and we don't talk about Greek and Hebrew necessarily and, and, and we just talk strict like life applications. Some of you just love that and you leave here saying, oh, my pastor is so in touch with what's happening. Others of you hate it all. And others of you like a mix. Right? But no church can operate without preaching. And let me define again. Preaching is proclaiming the Word of God, the Bible, in its completion. Not buffet style. Picking out the pieces we like and leaving out the pieces that challenge us. For information, again, because we can learn from the history, right? And it reminds us of what's coming. And applying it to our lives for today. No church can operate without preaching. The Word of God provides direction. The hands of God's people provide the doing. And in all of it, He gets the glory. And so we see here, big moment, big moment. 
Building finished. Temple done. Occupancy granted. Right? They, had, they, they, they were able to go in. They were able to worship. They were able to do their thing. And we see how they dedicated the building, how they celebrated. The rest returned, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with what? With what? Who's got a Bible in their lap? With joy. Right? They celebrated it with joy and they offered dedication with all the animals according to the numbers of the tribes of Israel. And they set their priests and their divisions and the Levites and their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, right? As it is written in the book of Moses. Now, I love this because they set these folks for the service, okay? And so what'd they do? They got right to work. They had a celebration service, they got a dedication service, and then they said, okay, you leaders right here, you focus on this area, you leaders right here, you focus on this area, right? Sometimes the temptation for us, when, when, when churches reach one or two milestones, okay, that really concerned me for the, for the contemporary church of 2022. Can I share a couple? Okay, all right. One, one is this, right? A, a, a church um, um, is, is interviewing a new pastor, now, I'm not prophesying, I'm not foreshadowing, I'm not going anywhere. I'm like a wart, you can't get rid of me, okay? But, when a church, some of you may, may come from contexts where you brought in a new pastor, you were a part of a pastor search process, and everybody was doing so many things, and you, you spent so much time refining a vision, defining a vision, all of these things for a new pastor to come in and take over and execute so that you could do what? Ah, just come to church again just come to church again, right? And in that interview process, you tell that pastor, hey, listen, we've got so many people that serve here. You're going you're gonna to love this place. There's so many people that does this. Aunt Susie, she does this. This person does this. Oh, man, the kitchen is covered, all of that. And then six months in, the pastor's making the potluck. Why? Because they're worn out. Second, second concern, right, that, that's similar, is, is one that I have for some at church. And maybe if I share it with you, we won't do this. But I was sitting with a few friends at Aroma Joe's uh, about, about six weeks ago and, uh, and, and, and was, was, was talking about where we are as a church now. And in case you don't know that, we're meeting in a middle school <laughs> as a church, uh, which means they don't let us leave this stuff up during the week. We, bring, we come in. We set it up, and then, and then sometimes people forget this one, that we have to tear it down, too, and take it with us, okay? And so we, we have to put it in the trailers that are parked out back and, 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 and haul it away from, from here. That's, that's the current reality of, of, of our church for the next six, eight months or years. Months. It's just making sure you're listening, Okay? Okay? And everybody can't wait, can't wait for the new building, can't wait for the new building, can't wait for the new building. And I'm not saying it's bad, I'm not knocking people, I'm not, I'm, I'm not complaining, I'm not whining, hear me, okay? I was, we were taking pictures of, 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 of homecoming last night, homecoming pictures, and was talking to a friend of mine and he said, man, I've talked to three or four families this week that just can't wait till your building's done so they can start coming to your church. I'm preaching tomorrow <laughs> at the middle school. 
But you know that tells me Summit? And I'm talking to our members right now. Members, regular attenders, if you call Summit home, I'm talking to you right now. I do not want to go to 26 Cressy Road limping. The church is not a... The, hmm, 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 back up. The building is not a destination where we go in, we drop our bags, and we put our feet up. It's a launching pad. It's a launching pad. And I want to go into the building and say, okay, you, you, this group right here, you, you focus you know, that way, and you, this group right here, you focus that way, this group right here, you focus that way, this group right here, you grab a mop. Like, oh, like we're just going, right? We're going. And that's what we see right here. The temple was done. And think about this process. 20 years, and that was even after 70 years of exile. They've waited almost 100 years for this moment. And they have one dedication service with a big bonfire, with a lot of animals, and then they get to work. And then they get to work. And then they get to work. So, look at verses 19 through 22. We'll start to land the plane this morning. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. They stayed faithful. They stayed faithful. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated themselves from the uncleanliness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. So they had seen, they had seen some revival happen. Right? They had seen some revival happen. Through the process, right? through the coming, through the completion, they had seen some people that made their mind up that they were going to worship the, the, they were going to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 22. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days. And again, I love this. With joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So we see the purification that they cleansed themselves, the priests, the people, and, and, and God's using this, and God's people are joyful, right? God's people are joyful. We have a reason to rejoice, church, amen? We have a reason to rejoice. And I want you to think back to chapter 1, that as people started to see, and maybe it wasn't chapter 1, maybe it was chapter 4, okay? But this people, or 5, excuse me, as people started to see 3, it was 3, okay, as we saw earlier in Ezra, <laughs> at the rebuilding of the temple, some people were excited, some people were celebrating, some people were so joyful, others were crying, weeping, because they had remembered, right? And some of, you, some of you are in a similar spot. Some of you are in a similar spot. Some, some, some of you are going to pick up our budget today that we're going to vote on next Sunday, and you're going to weep a little bit. Some, some, some of you, just like here in the book of Ezra, so I want you to see, as someone mentioned earlier, there's nothing new under the sun. Some of you, God is going to have to make joyful. 
in this season. Some of you, some of you God's going to have to make joyful. But nonetheless, there was joy. We have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to rejoice. I want to give you three reasons, and then we'll be done. Sound good? Reasons we have to rejoice. Thank you. Russ, these are just for you. Okay. Number one, God's providence. We have a reason to rejoice this morning because of God's providence. When the children of Israel languished and they were, they were put out in a foreign land, they had no freedom and certainly no provision to build a temple. But what they could not do, their prayers could. But what they could not do, their prayers could. And God provided and even provided through means that were outside of the church, that were outside of the house. The government is now funding and providing this building. And I know what some of you are probably thinking, because I probably thought it as well as I've read through this over these last few months and studied this for these days of preaching this. Well, if, well, if, if Gorham, if Cumberland County of Southern Maine would come along and fund 26 Cressy Road, maybe I would get behind it, Pastor. Maybe that would be the miracle that would bring me joy around this project and around this season that summits in. Well, apparently you're missing all of the other ways that God is providing through this. Bring me out to lunch this week. You buy. And I'll tell you. It's amazing. God's provision is all over this. And I'm not just talking about a building. You want to know my favorite part over the last six weeks of telling this story? The provision of Summit Church. The miracle that is this place. Let me tell you, if you're six weeks old with us or six months old with us and you don't know the story of how this church was birthed, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And it's beautiful. And you can't, you can't tell me. Hey, sweetie. Sorry, my five-year-old was out in the hallway waving at me, so... She takes precedent in that moment. God's at work. God's at work. Now, is everything perfect at Summit Church? Of course not. (laughs) But God's moving and that's enough for me. God's moving and that's enough for me. Because the grass isn't greener in that other place you want to visit. That grass isn't greener. Trust me. The grass isn't greener. And if you do find that perfect church, the old saying is, don't go because you'll ruin it. God's provision. Only God could have made this thing possible for the people of Ezra. Only God could have made this thing possible. Only God can turn the heart of the king in his hand. Only God could order that king to pay the expenses. And when the Lord 
has provided in a miraculous way. It's joyful. Think back to when he's done that for you. Which brings us to God's provision. Not only God's providence, his timing, his sovereignty, but his provision brought them joy. That God provided a way for this to happen. That God provided a way for them to pay for it. That God provided a way. God's provided a way. And then thirdly, and we see it because we see them bring so much joy in the house. God's place. How many of you love to travel? Okay, I see those hands. I was talking to some of you that have been traveling lately this morning. You love, you love, you love to travel, right? It's fun to travel. But how many of you that just raised your hand and say you love to travel would also say, there's no place like home? Oh yeah, there's no place like home. I love to travel. I enjoy traveling. I shouldn't say I love to travel. I enjoy traveling. For me, it depends on the method of travel. If you have to squish me into an airplane like a little, anyway, right? Or, or I get to drive and spread out a little bit, right? Because that can make a difference on the travel, okay? Um, but but I, I, enjoy, I enjoy traveling, but there is no place like home. There is no bed like my bed. There is no recliner. There is no seat like my seat. There is no drop zone, right, like my drop zone. Y'all know where the drop zone is, right? That place that your shoes go to and your bags go to every day. Vera, our five-year-old, the one that was just waving to me in the hallway, she's found her drop zone. You know where it is? Right in between the oven and the refrigerator, right in the middle of the walkway in the kitchen. That's problematic. And so we're working on, she's just started, she's just gotten into this thing. We're working on her new drop zone. Okay, you can pray for us in that. I talked about praying for each other earlier. There's my vulnerability. You can pray for us in that because I've kicked her backpack now more times than I'm willing to admit and she and I are in discussions about a new drop zone. You get the point. There's no place like home. And I know, I know this is very building-esque this morning, but it's where we are as a church. How many of you know This is not home. This isn't home. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to go to a church where I don't hit my step goal just walking from my car to the auditorium. And back. This isn't home. Right? But how beautiful it's going to be. What a celebration it's going to be when we go to God's place for Summit Church, His home. Again, not a destination, but a launching pad. Not a destination, but a launching pad. I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine. And he just sent two kids to college this, this fall. Two kids to college. And he said, uh, he said he had them move everything out of his house. 
I was like, why why'd you do that, bro? He said, because they're not coming back here. <laughs> Some of you that have sent kids off to college, you may identify. He's like, they're not coming back here, right? I don't want this to be a destination or, a, you know, I'm launching them into the world. Now, that's a parenting style. I'm not sure it's going to be my parenting style. Um, but for him, right, he launched them into the world, right? That's how I want some of the church to be at 26 Cressy. God's place. There's two verses I want to read you about God's place. And then we'll close it down. Psalm 122, verse 1. These aren't going to be on the screen this morning, but maybe you'll recognize them when you think of the house of God. I was glad. Everybody say glad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. A Sunday morning. Is that the easiest morning for you to get up in the week? Don't answer that. Right? Don't answer that. Some of you setup guys are like, it's a struggle. Right? I was glad. What does it look like? Right? When we walk into this place and say, oh, I am glad to come in to the house of the Lord today. Why? Because Psalm 84, 10, for a day in the courts, a day in your courts is better than a thousand at the Freiburg Fair. Amen? A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I had rather be a doorkeeper on the welcome team when it's 35 degrees outside in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Right? Our welcome team this morning, they walked in, they were a little frigid. Right? Smiles on their faces. A day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere. This project in Ezra, the worship team's going to come. This project in Ezra began with mingled, we talked about this a couple minutes ago, Warren Wearsby said this, this project began with mingled joy and tears, but it ended with all the people rejoicing. All the people rejoicing. And the traditional feast took on new joy. Why? Because of what God had done for His people. Because of what God had done for His people. Now, my question for you is this, and it's, it's, it's twofold. Are you looking for what God is doing, for how He's active in your own life? Or are you just maintaining? Are you just going about? Are you just doing the same thing? Well, I've talked about them already this morning, so I'll talk to you. You lost your job on Friday. So what's next? What's God doing in this? So that relationship ended. What's next? What's God doing? Are we looking for how God is moving in our everyday life? Or are we just doing our thing, as they say? And secondly, are you just coming to church? Or are you looking with joy for how God is moving at Summit Church? Notice what I said there. Are you looking with joy for what God is doing at Summit? Some may feel, wow, what a tremendous thing to have the Lord do something like this for you. And we have far greater privilege. They completed the temple and then had to offer sacrifices. 
But remember, thanks be to God, through Jesus, our salvation's complete. The price has been paid, and that's something that God's just done that's, that God's done just for us. So we have a reason to be joyful this morning. And I pray that as you walk out of here today and think about what God's doing in your own life and think about what God is doing in the life of this body, this gathering, this group of believers, that you walk out of here with joy, knowing His providence, His sovereignty, His faithfulness through provision, and that there's a place where you can come and be you and be known and be challenged to know Him. Will you pray with me? And so God, this morning, thank You. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for what You've done. Thank You for what You're doing. I pray that You would turn our hearts to joy today. Even if we don't feel like it. Even if the circumstances don't dictate it. God, that we would look at what you're doing, we'd look at what you've done. And God, that we would turn our mourning into dancing. That just like you did in the book of Ezra, you would turn the tears into joy. Thank you for being the same God today that you were then. Capable, willing, and active in doing the same things today that you did then. And forgive us for our lack of faith in seeing it and looking for it. Be with us, your people, today. In Jesus' name, amen.